0: Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice podcast based on Projections, episode 56. I'm your host, Pavel Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to snapprojectionscom podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Lucas McNohan. Lucas has been working in personal finance for 10 years, gaining exposure to a broad range of disciplines, having worked in various capacities for RBC Royal Bank, Richardson GMP, and now Canberra Private Wealth. He is a certified financial planning CFP professional and graduated from the University of Manitoba with a Bachelor of Science. Lucas manages Canberra's financial planning effort. Where all prospects are given a financial plan before investing, and all clients receive ongoing financial planning support using Cumber's immersive custom financial dashboards. Lucas also leads Cber's data science team, working with a group of University of Calgary data science interns to develop novel data-driven advice solutions for clients. Lucas, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. That was a great intro. Yeah, it's it's your it's your intro, it's your bias. So that's uh, that, <laughs> it's super interesting. Especially, uh, I, I'm I'm sure we'll dive a little bit more deeper in some of the questions. Especially, about, I'm curious about the dashboards. But let's leave it for later. <laughs> for now, super excited to have you on. So let's dive in. So tell me a little bit more about about your firm about Canberra. What do you do, and who do you typically serve?
1: We're a small firm. We're we're new. We're just a little over a year into uh, this adventure. We're an ICPM, we're registered, you know, directly with the provincial regulators, you know, there's five of us on staff, and we're serving about 75 families, you know, average sort of net worth in the $2 million to $5 million range is, is sort of our typical client. And we really lead, we lead with financial planning. That's, that's sort of our,
0: our method of operation. Excellent. So under the air, 75 families, and the target is 2 million to 5 million, or that's the kind of the average client. So that's perfect. That's great context. I always like to ask a question about uh, you know, just uh, taking you back, uh, taking us back actually through early days. So what made you become a financial advisor, financial planner in the first place?
1: Ten years ago, I was working in uh, quite a different career. I was working in environmental chemistry, so totally unrelated to finance. But I had always been interested in investing and specifically budgeting as well. Uh, I I just always ended up finding myself helping, you know, my friends and family out with their finances, whether it was, you know, doing a budget or helping them figure out a mortgage or, you know, giving them some generic investment advice. And I actually really enjoyed doing that. Never really thought of it as a career. I, I was pretty happy doing what I was doing in environmental chemistry, but that industry started to change quite a bit. And I had gotten into a role that probably, you know, wasn't the right fit for me and was kind of unhappy. And just a friend of mine, you know, sort of threw the comment out there over dinner one time, why don't you think about doing finance as a job? Um, it, it would be a total, you know, 180 on your career. But uh, yeah, just I hadn't really thought of it before that friend mentioning it. So I looked into what would be required and, you know, what kind of path I could go down, whether it was going to be investment advising or, you know, insurance or whatever it was going to be. And so financial planning really, you know, kind of meshed with me uh, when I read about that type of career and, you know, how it's kind of a holistic thing. You get to touch every piece of finance, not just one specialized area.
0: Um, and so I sort of like that generalist approach. And, you know, I, I went off down that path. Excellent. So this is super interesting. So 180 for sure, environmental chemist turned uh, financial planner, financial advisor. So this is really interesting. And um, so let's go back maybe to Camber for a second, because it's it's a young firm and, and you all already uh, up to a really good start, you know, 75 families. So that's, that's a really good start. So, and we'll maybe uh, dive a little bit deeper into, you know, what's, what's uh, actually allowed you to start so quickly, but as you are, you know, pretty much on the founding uh, level or, or, part of the founding team of, with Hamber. With why does this business really exist for you? Because as this is a, since this is a new firm, I mean, you kind of have to think about all those things when you're starting a company. So why, what was the kind of the, the one thing that uh, that you were thinking about? Why does this business exist? Why does this work matter for you and for your clients?
1: Yeah, we really wanted to go way outside the box on financial planning. My partners and I, we worked at Richardson GMP prior to starting Camber. a wonderful firm. But they try and operate their financial planning uh, offering in a bit of a box, which is understandable. I mean, it's a centralized team, and they, they kind of have to do financial planning in a way that applies to a whole bunch of different advisor types that operate in that firm. And so we really wanted to break out of that mold and, and do something uh, different You know, they were supportive, but, you know, we wanted to spend our money uh, going further down that rabbit hole um, and into areas that maybe the firm wouldn't be as comfortable with, um, like developing these uh, financial dashboards using data visualization software. So that's really why we started the firm was to be able to explore all of our ideas on financial planning.
0: And I think there is no better timing actually right now than just to actually go deep into financial planning, especially around the market volatility right now, especially about what's happening right now worldwide. So so perfect timing (laughs) on that. And so let's let's go back to your process because you mentioned uh, all prospects are presented with a financial plan before investing. You're building the financial plan initially. So what is your process? How do you approach uh, building the plan and advising and serving clients? The
1: process is developing over time we're really working quite hard on automation and technology but the basic process right now is we have a online questionnaire that any prospect that we're dealing with would go through it's kind of an adaptive questionnaire you know there are certain types of people that want to give a lot of details and so they can go down that rabbit hole on the uh, on the questionnaire or there's other people that don't want to give a lot of detail or maybe don't know their details or are maybe a little bit more disorganized and I don't mean that as a, as a negative I mean people are busy they they're running businesses they're you know working careers um, so the questionnaire is, adaptable to that type of a person as well where they can get through it in a few minutes give us enough information to get started with and then you know we develop accuracy over time but so that's that's the initial stage is is they go through this questionnaire and then we get their responses back and we build them a financial dashboard and we meet with them and, and we go through the dashboard and discuss it and and then after that's done and we have a sense of you know, what this person looks like financially or what this family looks like financially and what, what needs they have, then we can start talking about investing their money and, you know, asset allocation and things like that, that they're probably more used to asking a prospective advisor
0: about. Okay, that makes sense. So that I really like your process with uh, just making the uh, data collection adaptive, because as you said, some people have, some people are uh, naturally very much organized and they have all this information, but some people don't. And I think probably the vast majority of people don't, um, don't have everything on their fin- fingertips to share with a financial advisor. So you can start with whatever they have and then you can develop accuracy over time. I think that's that's really critical and I think that's uh, that allows you to.
1: Well, one of the problems we're trying to solve is just getting people a financial plan is a huge win. In my experience doing financial plans sort of at a firm level with Richardson GMP, the conversion rate is very low. So, you know, advisors will recommend that their clients do a financial plan and then you send out the PDF questionnaire and you know, maybe half of that they they fall off at that point. The other half you get the questionnaire back, but then you start sort of the data collection phase, you know, I want tax returns, I want to see your insurance policies and then, you know, another half of that half remaining falls off at that point. And you're down to 25%. So, I mean, the conversion rate on financial planning is incredibly low. And so that's a huge problem that we're trying to tackle with this adaptive questionnaire where, you know, it's not about getting it perfect the very first time. Um, And that was a big mental leap for me actually going from, so at Richardson GMP, when I started there, I was working in our centralized planning division. So I was doing plans for many different advisors and you really did have to get it very, very accurate, sort of your first attempt because it wasn't your client and you weren't gonna be dealing with them again, likely. But with your own firm, you can work on it over time, you know, you can start out with something that's just acceptable and and sort of bring it to a masterpiece over time. And and that was sort of a tough mental shift for me to make. I I was very focused on, you know, doing it the old school way and getting it absolutely perfect the first time you go through it, but that's not going to help with your conversion rate.
0: This is a really big problem, right? Especially when the conversion rate, as you mentioned, it drops to, let's say, you know, 20%. So if you're not successful, so there's a couple of things here. So if you're not not successful, basically, helping clients to provide with information, I mean, then you, you can't really move forward. So, that, so that's, you know, you're trying to solve this problem. And, and the other thing is, you mentioned the centralized planning department. So this is a really interesting area as well, because... So what do you think about the future of that model I mean are we going to see a future where where this model actually can be successful or do you think the future uh, is going to be going forward that actually the financial advisor is going to be doing the plan uh, maybe sometimes they they will be able to bring external experts especially when the plans are very complex when you're planning for somebody with you know I don't know five or ten million dollars I mean that's we're we're talking about completely different level of complexity. But when you are, let's say, handling smaller, simpler plans, do you think there is still future for those kind of centralized divisions? Or there is greater benefit for the actual advisor doing the plans? Maybe not to the same, let's say, level of complexity, but still to the point that, um, that they are they're actually uh, accurate, tax accurate, and uh, they can actually help uh, people make better financial decisions.
1: I mean, I think there's room for a whole bunch of different models. I I don't see the centralized financial planning department, you know, going anywhere. Um, And I think it is valuable because there's all kinds of different businesses or investment models that these central divisions are serving. And I'm not sure that every advisor could afford to have their own financial planner. I honestly, you know, I'm biased a bit there. I think just from, you know, an advice standpoint, that would be the way to go. And it's not so much that, you know one way is better than the other it's just having someone on staff you can continue to work with your clients over time and get to know them whereas that person working in that central division you know you might work with even if you are updating these plans through that centralized planning department you're probably dealing with a different planner every year or two that you do it so the planner isn't really developing a relationship there but no i don't i don't see those centralized groups going anywhere i think they're extremely valuable generally speaking Having a financial plan versus not having a financial plan is a completely different world. You know, so that, that really should be the focus of the
0: industry is getting clients a financial plan by whatever means necessary. That makes sense. And I agree. I mean, because the thing is, if if, if you can't do the planning and the, the only other option for you is to actually resort to a centralized planning group, then... Then and they can help you, right? Then you can actually get the plan in place uh, for the client. So, so from that perspective, it's useful. I think still, I mean, and that's exactly what you are doing at Canberra. I mean, you have co- full control over planning. You're doing this in house. You're doing this internally. You make this basically the, the the block that basically happens at the beginning of the of the relationship with the client. So, and I think that gives you a lot of control and benefits as part of uh, advising clients. So let's talk about the one thing that you mentioned. I'm super curious about those immersive custom financial dashboards. So can you tell us a little bit? So what do do you do actually? Do you, what do you p- portray on those dashboards? How do they work? How do they help uh, the client and the advisor to communicate better? And what's the goal really behind it?
1: The goal behind it is really to have a tool that, again, is kind of adaptive where, you know, it starts out just sort of looking at the tip of the iceberg sticking out of the water. And for many, many people, that's good enough. That's all they want to know. They just want to look at the sort of different tips of the icebergs in their financial life sort of floating around out there in the ocean. But over time or, you know, situation specific, You might want to drill down and, you know, go down to those lower levels of the iceberg to look at details and understand that, you know, we have factored in your tax. We have factored in different types of expenses, you know, appearing and disappearing over time and different inflation rates. And you might want to drill down to, you know, what investment returns are being used or, you know, is my insurance projection actually in there the way it's laid out From my insurance company. And so you never really know when you're going to have to go down one of those rabbit holes. And the typical paper financial plan that, you know, I was used to preparing, you know, it it kind of tried to present the entire iceberg for every area of someone's financial life on paper. And so you'd end up with these, you know, 50 plus page documents that were, were kind of hard for the average person to understand. You know, you, you kind of get lost presenting them sometimes. You'd be spending too much time on one area and uh, not enough time on another area. When you kind of start with just the tips of these icebergs in, in a visual perspective, you can let clients sort of, you know, we give clients a mouse and they can click through the dashboard and, you know, they're the ones driving which page of the financial plan they're starting on, you know, to sort of use the paper analog. So that, that's kind of what we were shooting for.
0: That makes a, a absolute uh, sense, right? Because if you have something that's, that's basically in front of you, uh, then and you can change that, it's it's the, the digital format, right? Then you can actually address, I mean, first of all, you have all, all the information right in front of you. You can drill down, you can potentially move between different areas and adapt it as you said it's very adaptive to to show different areas to clients so without i mean i understand this is your intellectual property you're developing this for your firm but can you tell us a little bit you know just how do you start with those dashboards like what do you present first do you go over those six different areas um, of uh, financial planning uh, as per fp canada or do you tailor this to a client as you mentioned earlier uh, what what is the sort of the first dashboard what do they see Do they see their network that do they're do they, do they break it down can you tell us a little bit more about what you do there There's a home screen that everyone
1: starts at, and there's the classical, you know, net worth that they can click that button and sort of get into their net worth information. But once you click into that net worth, you know, there's a scroll bar at the bottom where you can, you know, start at their current age and drag them out to whatever age they're interested in and see how the assets are changing over time. You know, picture sort of a bar chart with a a slider below it. And then you can click into all of those bars. Um, you know, so you might have a RRSP bar or you would have an RRSP bar likely. And when you click that, if they have two RRSPs or three RSPs, you see them all there. And then you can click each of those RRSPs and go down to an asset allocation view. So you can see, okay, well, I've got this much stocks versus bonds. And you can click into the stocks and see, well, I've got this much, you know, US, Canada, international emerging markets bonds. And then you can sort of drill back up so you can kind of go down those rabbit holes from a net worth perspective same thing back on the home screen there's a, a cash flow button and you can do the exact same thing you click on the cash flow button and you can get in there and see all of you know where your cash sources are coming from and where your cash is being used and then drill into those different areas so you know on income You might be looking at a bar that says, you know, career, you can click that and it'll show salary, bonus, and stock-based compensation. You click on the stock-based compensation and it'll break out all of the RSUs and DSUs and stock options that are being paid that year. And it's obviously, you know, every every dashboard looks different depending on the client's income situation and how they're paid and and what their net worth looks like. So those are the two sort of standard buttons on the dashboard and, and that would be very similar to most financial plans. We've gone and developed a few additional areas. So there's a, an hour, pardon me, a your control area that they can go into. And so that is a sort of a custom area where we've laid out things that are absolutely within the client's control and have been shown to add value over time. So the big one is there's, there's a chart on there showing how much they should be saving over the next five years based on you know the calculations that we've done. That's in their control. Right. It's up to them to put that money aside and, to, you know, make those savings. We track, you know, how caught up are they on their RRSP contributions, their TFSA contributions, their RESP contributions, whenever they last updated their will on their insurance. So those are sort of the big areas that we look at that the client has control over um, and that they should be focusing on. And we're we're kind of taking the approach of, uh, I mean, I don't have an Apple Watch, but, you know, where you fill your rings, like if you get your steps in the day and your sort of ring fills up and, you know, it doesn't feel like it's doing much that day. But if you do those things day after day after day, you, you become a healthier person. And so we sort of have a graphic like that where, you know, we want people to fill up their TFSA, fill up their RSP. We're kind of trying to take that that approach. So back, back to the home screen, there, there's another uh, area that they can go into, which is called our control. So these are the things that, you know, you should really be expecting from your advisor. So things like your asset allocation, you know, are you diversified? How diversified are you? Are you following a high probability investment approach? Are you tax efficient? Are you low fee? And then so we've sort of created a bit of a a ranking graph that um, takes all of those concepts and sort of displays it quite simply to make the layperson able to look at their entire financial position and get a sense of how, how strong or weak it might be. And then the, probably the most popular um, area to go into with clients is the scenario section. So we're taking their base projection and then we're stress testing it. You know, you buy a cabin, you spend more money, you send your kids to Harvard or maybe your investment returns are better or worse or you add an insurance policy or you don't. And so it's just all of the typical stress testing. And they're using sort of stacked line graphs. And so you can see the effect of, of the different changes that you might be discussing.
0: So that's really a high level what, what you're getting with these dashboards. Perfect. So thank you very much for describing this in so much detail. It sounds to me that uh, you're essentially developing a new version of financial planning software. Where basically you're merging some of the calculations for the financial planning software, tying this back to your backend system as well. It sounds like it's pretty comprehensive and uh, it's, pretty, uh, it's a pretty large undertaking, right? There's definitely no calculations happening in the dashboard. So
1: all of the calculations are still being done in commercially available financial planning software. But what we're really changing is the paper financial plan itself. You know, the reports that are available in most financial planning software, we don't use any of those. It's really our report that's different. So the data is all coming out of the software, not, not within the dashboard itself.
0: Right. But it, it's, it, that, do you connect it actually to your backend system? So it actually gets the current market uh, data, for example, about their assets levels and everything else, or, or, or that's more static? It's more static. It's based on,
1: um, like, just think if, if you were doing a financial plan and you update a client's assets and then you bring them in the next week and, you know, you're showing them the update that you've done, it's a week out of date. It's not live streaming market data. That's that's the same with our dashboards. It's not streaming market information. It's as of the last update. That would be nice to get there eventually,
0: but we're not there yet. Right. And, and in normal market conditions, I would say it's, I mean, you don't need that level of detail. I mean, oh, seven days or a week, it's not a big deal. I mean, over last month, I guess it was a big deal, right? Because the, the market has been extremely volatile. And maybe I'll ask you a question actually about, about that. Uh, but uh, what has been the response uh, of, of the clients to to, to your dashboards? Uh, like what did they, uh, you mentioned that uh, they, the scenario section was extremely popular. And I totally understand why. I mean, we're seeing the same thing on our side as well. I mean, whenever you can do those what-if scenarios, and, and very quickly show the impact on their, um, of their decisions on their, on their long-term wealth, then uh, clients like it quite a bit because it's very useful for them. But what, what, has, been the, what has been the response overall to the dashboards uh, from, from clients so far? They love them so far. Um, I think you know, where I've been happiest
1: is in the response from, I mean, typically there, there's a spouse that's maybe slightly less involved in the financial aspects of, of a family. And the response from those spouses has been incredible because again, we've sort of simplified everything on all of the initial views. It's very high level until you start drilling in. And so we're able to have these extremely productive conversations that the less involved spouse feels like they can participate in because the conversation's happening at a level um, that's very manageable.
0: That makes sense, because i I think that just the way how you laid out the information and just you're starting at the top, as you said earlier to the to the top of the iceberg and that information is it, you know it's simple but it's easy to understand and then you can get deeper right so at some point maybe one spouse will drop off and say okay that's enough what i need to understand and if you want to go and and, uh, and spend more time on those kind of finer details that's fine but at least i understand the whole concept i i'm not required to consume you know a 50 or 100 page report first to be able to get anything right so so they get immediate, immediate value from it so is this part of it, would you say? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge part of it. And, and I think the other
1: sort of response we've had, and I was always kind of surprised I didn't have this response with um, sort of like paper-based financial plans like I've been used to doing, was, you know, once you have one of these dashboards built, it, it's almost like a, a custom Google for each client's financial life you know like a lot of people spend time going on the internet and you know searching this topic or that topic and trying to relate the information they're finding to their own financial situation whereas you know with financial planning software tied to this dashboard you can ask your financial life any question you want like what happens if i buy this cabin you know can i do that how does that impact me over the long term and so that that has been the other you know response i've been very pleased with is we do have clients circling back to us, you know, a month later, two months later, with these kinds of financial decisions or questions, we can update their dashboard very quickly. We can deliver the dashboard update electronically over the internet. And so clients can immediately go into the scenario section and not have to wonder, you know, what happens if I take this course of action? They can click the button, they can overlay the two graphs on top of each other and see the impact and make sort of informed financial decisions. So I've been very happy with that sort of additional level of engagement that I wasn't really seeing with typical financial plans.
0: Right, because it's really hard to get the same level of engagement if you're just looking at paper, right? I mean, there's nothing really changing there. You have to regenerate the whole thing, and it's just not an efficient process. So I think this is a a great area, and this is really fascinating that you're working on on, on things like that. So um, I want to ask a question about... um, that uh, ties back to those dashboards and, and, and your financial planning process especially in the context of the coronavirus and of COVID-19, of course. So what has been the response of clients? Because, I mean, we've had market volatility for just about a month or so right now. So it's not—it's past the initial panic selling, right? I mean, some experts uh, are talking about maybe potentially reaching the bottom, maybe not. I mean, that depends. Uh, you know, we don't want to speculate. I, I don't want to get the conversation around that. That's not that interesting. It's interesting how those clients would um, actually your clients, how would they respond to the market volatility? And uh, did you, were you overwhelmed with calls or clients would tend to check their financial planning dashboards uh, on their own? And uh, uh, were clients making redemptions or, or, you know, or staying the course or adding to their position? Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Generally speaking, our clients have been, you know, doing exactly the right thing, which is trying to ignore this market activity. You know, I think the, the clients of ours that have dashboards in place, they understand because, you know, part of the testing we do with their dashboards is showing them if the market gets much more volatile or if they lose a big chunk of their wealth or, you know, we do all this stress testing for them. So I think many of our clients have sort of a, a base understanding that they're going to be okay through something like this. But of course we did get phone calls. I mean, it's just human nature to, to worry about things like this. And so, again, you know, we're able to go back to our dashboards and focus the conversation on things that you actually can control. You know, none of us can control what's going on in the markets. So let's imagine the worst case scenario. You know, like, tell me what's going on in your head. I mean, are we getting negative 25% a year for the next three years and then sort of back to normal? Okay, if that's what you're worried about, we can put that into your dashboard and do a quick update and send you those graphs and send you the result, you know, here's where you're going to take your cash from, you know, if these things happen, and here's how your net worth looks, you know, greatly reduced over that period of time, but you're still going to be okay. I mean, by a wide margin in most cases. And so it just makes that conversation about not panicking and, you know, trying to go to cash and time the market and all these things that you see on TV. I think we really haven't had much of that, if
0: any. That's excellent. So, and, and uh, I think that's part of it is probably that you've actually prepared clients that this is what's going to happen, right? I mean, there there's some stress testing that they uh, they were part of, and then you show them different options and. And you prepared them for something like this because um, I remember conversations, basically in December, back to uh, even last year, that you know the market seems to be overvalued, right? I mean, there is something potentially may, may trigger correction or something, uh, or even a crash, uh, a larger crash. And that's exactly what happened. I think uh, many people in the industry were expecting what's going to happen, but still, you know, many people were surprised by that. But I think it looks like you've really prepared your clients for for this outcome. Well, the thing we try to educate clients about is these sorts of things. It's not a bug
1: in the market. It's a feature of the market. The market doesn't always go straight up. And so if you want to be invested and you want to get a better long-term rate of return and collect, you know, some of these premiums that are out there by investing your money, this type of volatility is a feature. You should be expecting this. No one should be surprised by this. And it's it's not a bug. There's nothing that's broken this is what is supposed to happen when, when bad things happen. The market will reprice itself. And eventually in the future, you know, five, 10 years down the line, you know, we're hardly gonna remember this period.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great message, fully agree. So Lucas, what I wanted to um, uh, uh, ask you about is, yeah, especially in the context of uh, of your previous career, and when you're uh, creating plans for many different advisors uh, and many different clients. And right now, as part of working with uh, the team at Cumber, when you have a lot of control over building uh, the financial planning process and even building the tools that you uh, that you use, some of the tools, including the dashboards that you use. Do you have any thoughts about, uh, or did uh, those experience, uh, this ex- especially most recent experience, did it um, somehow change your uh, thoughts on wealth management or, or this is just kind of natural evolution to, uh, of what you actually want to be a part of uh, uh, in the first place. My thoughts on wealth management have changed over sort of the recent
1: year or so working directly with clients rather than, you know, in sort of a central planning department. Again, it isn't extremely important that you get their financial life 100% accurate the first time you ever touch them. And that it's, it's something that you can massage over time as you get to know the client. I mean, obviously, if someone wants a very specific piece of advice about you know, an insurance policy or something like that, you better get that perfect. You just have to be patient with clients. I think that's, you know, been a big change for me in wealth management over the last few years, working more closely with clients is just be a bit more patient and, um, you know, try to help them see the value in in, uh, doing what you're asking them to do. And, you know, once we get these dashboards set up, clients really do start to see the value of, um, you know, giving us all this information over time. And and we usually have clients, you know, circling back to us wanting to add detail about this or about that. I mean, I don't know if that answers your question about, you know, wealth management at large. I mean, in my experience, I think the industry wants to do a really good job. Um, I've, I've never worked anywhere where, you know, the goal wasn't to give good financial advice, I don't really see much changing in in wealth management in the future. I mean, I think technology is probably going to change a lot of things and and make it easier to deliver advice and and make advice easier to understand. But I think the desire to do good
0: planning and to give good advice is there, and uh, I, I don't think that's changing absolutely and for sure and uh, i think the i think that's uh, it's more about it's not about the desire that i was kind of alluding to it's more about uh, just even ability to deliver right because uh, if you're part of a larger team with a lar- lot much larger institution then those institutions tend to move, move a little slower right they have been in the business for you know decades and and they don't necessarily can't, or they wouldn't uh, wish to to move faster right so for example when you have a chance to actually explore, as you said, just working more closely with clients, build dashboards, build, build something that really matters to them, Then, then you definitely have an advantage in the market. So I was just curious how, how this may have impacted your thoughts about wealth management. But I wanted to uh, maybe go back also to some of the other projects that you're working on. You mentioned this data science um, uh, project that you're leading. So what uh, what's the goal behind that um, the, the data science project? How do you want to, or how are you thinking about leveraging data to either build, I don't know, next version of financial planning dashboards or just completely build a new solution to uh, for, for your clients? How, what, what's the goal behind this project? Can you tell us a little bit about that? The goal behind the project was, you know, again, this this conversion
1: rate of, you know, financial plans that are being done in the industry um, and, you know, sort of looking at what the problems were primarily around data collection and that clients would sort of stall out and wouldn't be able to finish that data collection phase or just, you know, couldn't make themselves go through that process. They're busy with their life. And so we started wondering if, if we could use big data to maybe fill in some of the blanks for a period of time when we're first developing these financial dashboards. So, I mean, you know, one thing I've realized over the years is a lot of the inputs that we put into these financial plans from clients, they're really just guesses, you know, especially around things like what somebody spends because no one's keeping track of everything in QuickBooks and, you know, no one has a, uh, you know, annual cash flow statements like you would for uh, you know, like a publicly traded company. So you don't really, you don't really know what you're spending. And so that was one of the first problems that we tried to tackle with big data. Is you can get. Um, so what we're using is Statistics Canada produces. They're called public use microdata files. And so they do these large surveys every year, sometimes around um, household spending sometimes around financial security, so, you know, like how much assets people have. They do income surveys, so how people are earning their income and how much income they're earning. And so these big data sets are available. I mean, they'll survey 10 to 15,000 people. And so, you know, the, the one that we're using quite a bit right now, the, the survey for household spending, I think it's 12,500 respondents all different income levels, all different walks of life, married, single kids, no kids, et cetera. And so we we were wondering, you know, instead of 100% relying on the guess that we're getting from most clients on their spending, which over time, you know, we have seen, you know, because we adjusted over time as we get to know the client, the the initial guess is way off usually. And so can you use big data to, to maybe do a better job on that initial guess? And so, you know, we're working with these data science students from the University of Calgary. They're brilliant. I couldn't have done any of this without them. And, and we're, we're looking at these big data sets and, you know, putting together queries essentially saying, okay, well, this person is this old and they earn this much income and, and they're married and they have a kid. Can we not, you know, do a prediction on what this person is spending? And on the predictions that we've done so far, and again, you know, we're still massaging this process, but we've been coming pretty close, you know, the feedback we're getting from clients. So to sort of circle back to our electronic survey that we send out to prospects and the clients, when it gets to that area in the survey about, you know, what do you spend? We give them the option to let us guess, right? And then we don't, we don't word it like that. I don't remember exactly what the wording is of the question, but we give them an opportunity to say, well, we want you to figure out what we're spending. And so this is this tool that we've built with these data scientists um, using these public use microdata files to do a prediction based on what we know about the client. This is likely a total spend for the client. And then these surveys are gigantic. I mean, they, you know, 150 columns. I mean, they're tracking how much did you spend on women's clothes, on men's clothes, on boys' clothes, on girls' clothes? Uh, You know, how much did you buy at the bakery? I mean, it's, it's more than just sort of the typical, you know, five to 10 spending categories that most of us use as financial planners and so yeah we've, we've been able to come up with some pretty good predictions there on spending you know there's all kinds of problems like this that we're we're going to be looking to solve over the next couple of years um, with these data scientists
0: that's really cool because that's just potentially just uh, uh, helping you to address the question about spending from not just you know really Looking at their finances in detail and just tracking every single expense uh, that uh, they they've made, and then try to, of course, get, get it uh, to a certain level of accuracy over the last you know several years, but to 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 get pretty good baseline at this point. But you're trying to solve this problem by looking at okay, what in a in a in a statistical um, uh, just. Uh, a bucket of you know other households, other people. Uh, can we can we get pretty close on that? And sounds like you're you're you've made some great progress on that. So that's 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 really interesting. Well, and we're using it as well for adding context to our conversations. So you know
1: when we're presenting scenarios about you know here's your base financial plan, you know we're we're starting to show clients well here's what you told us you spend, but we've also sort of created or we've looked at a cohort of people that look similar to you, and you know, they're spending a lot less than you spend or they're spending a lot more than you spend. And so clients have really liked getting that insight. You know, everyone's interested in, you know, how am I doing relative to somebody else? Giving that additional information, whether it's about spending or whether it's about, you know, people at your stage of life tend to have more assets or less assets. That kind of feedback is really driving action more than just showing, you know, the financial plan says you should do this and, you know, you're going to save some tax and you tell them all about why they should do something based on just themselves, you actually kind of get more action from people when you're comparing them to others and you showing them that, you know, you know, maybe you should be a little further ahead. And we see it in the data that you're a little behind your cohort or you're spending less than your cohort. So, you know, you're in really good shape. You should be able to save more money and you're going to become
0: much more wealthy absolutely so I'm, I'm glad you've added this additional detail because of course everybody wants to know what their neighbors are doing right and so and it depends where where they are at i mean if they're right in the middle where where everybody is also doing okay fine this is this is kind of cool right if uh, they're doing better i mean there's the opportunity to uh, acknowledge that and and praise that and and everybody uh, likes that I'm, I'm sure on the other hand if they are spending too much i mean that's the opportunity in a non-threatening way to bring them back to what they potentially should be or or what they need to consider if they want to move forward and, and be on on track so and and, and i'm sure there's many other aspects to it but this is really interesting so this is this is very cool so let's talk about maybe a little bit about your um, how do you acquire clients? I understand the firm is fairly new, but how have you been acquiring clients so far? And actually, even more importantly, how this is going to maybe change or evolve, especially once the COVID 19 crisis is over? Have you put any thought into that? What do you think? We're a small firm, but almost all of our clients come from referrals. So,
1: you know, we just have a, a great group of clients that love the work that we do. We just generally are getting referrals from our existing clients. That's where most of our new business is coming from. Um, But we are working on doing much more online marketing. Again, sort of, you know, more of a digital approach rather than, uh, you know, sort of old school approaches to marketing. So we've been working with some very talented marketing people, putting together some infographic type videos. I mean, you see these kinds of things on the Internet, doing podcasts like I'm doing right now. Things like that, Um, you know, so in the next few weeks, we're actually going to be rolling a lot of this stuff out. It was was kind of just coincidental that, um, you know, this whole COVID virus thing started up and and really we're not seeing clients face-to-face these days. So the only opportunity to market yourself right now is is on the internet effectively. And so, you know, we have been working on some things that are going to be coming out in the next few weeks over the last few months, you know, animations of our dashboards, um, infographics, history of the markets, you know, all kinds of cool stuff is going to be coming out. So we're, we're trying that out. That's new for us. And, and we're hoping that can drive some, uh, some new clients our way. But yeah, those are really the two things that we're focusing on is just doing as good a job as we can with our existing clients to get those referrals. And then we're putting together this sort of digital pitch book, if you will. And that's going to be rolling out in the next few
0: days. I'm really glad to hear that because in uh, a lot of advisors, I think in uh, I think there are probably three different groups right now, and uh, one group is basically in a kind of kind of complete freeze uh, mode, thinking that well, the world is maybe not ending, but it's it's pretty uh, you know it, it's really bad, and they they can't uh, really seem to make a decision, and and so this is probably the moment when they should be really making pretty bold, strong decisions uh, in about their businesses. The other group might be people who are just sort of preparing themselves. And uh, these are the people that are, I don't know, buy, buying toilet paper or things like that, making sure that they they can they can uh, be in this kind of hibernation mode for another, I don't know, 12, 24, maybe 36, uh, 36 months. But I think there's another group, and, and you're definitely part of it, that, uh, that's basically using this as an opportunity to uh, figure out, okay, well, things are going to change when it comes to acquisition of clients. but. Definitely, this is the time to actually invest. So once the crisis is over, then we will be in a much better position. We'll be positioned for for future growth, and, and that group really thinks about this as as an opportunity. Really, that this is more of a you know reset for for future growth. So I'm glad you're thinking about uh, your your acquisition plan, uh, acquisition uh, campaigns right now, and then getting uh, this uh, ready to to launch pretty soon because you're definitely going to see positive impact from that because. I was just going to say. I mean,
1: I think this this might actually be. I mean, unfortunately, a, a rather large opportunity for for younger advisors, just because there's so much cash moving right now. I mean, there are a lot of people that are going to cash, and you know, there are a lot of um, just demographically speaking, older advisors out there. And you know, all this cash sitting around, and all these older advisors. I mean, if you're a younger advisor and you're you're you know, you've got a client base to work off of for referrals and. You know, you kind of focus digitally. You may be able to come out ahead through this uh, as a younger advisor if you don't sort of slow down on your
0: marketing efforts. Absolutely, that's a great message. So, a couple of questions here as, uh, as we're wrapping up. So, it sounds like uh, you've made really good decisions uh, as you're part of scaling the firm so far. But uh, tell me, like, what were what have been some of the biggest challenges um, that uh, you and your firm has encountered uh, in, in the past 12 months so far? The whole process of, you know, repapering all of your clients obviously was a huge
1: uh, endeavor. Technology is, is a big challenge. I mean, we always feel like in our minds, you know, the technology should already be there to make a lot of these things easier, you know, like electronic document signing and auto-filling PDFs and all these things. You know, so that, that's been a big challenge for us, just getting everyone moved over, getting everything repapered. But also, you know, there's so many options out there for technology. And I mean, like, which CRM are you going to use? How are you going to manage your business? contractors helping you with your tax situation and your marketing situation. Uh, so there was a lot of things that we struggled with over the last year, and it's, it's really just blown by. I can't believe how fast the last year went. But, yeah, those are the things that we're struggling with and, and still struggling with, specifically technology. It's just hard to keep up. Even with the Microsoft suite of products, I mean, we're using Power BI for our dashboards, which is a Microsoft product, and, and they're changing it every month. They're adding new visualizations. They're adding new you know, functionality to the software. It's impossible to keep up with all of this stuff. And so we've had to reach out to, to some technology contractors to, to give us a bit of a hand with all of this. And so that, I mean, that's been a huge challenge for us, just staying on top of the technology side of the business
0: absolutely and uh i don't think this is going to change unfortunately but uh i think some of the uh, technology providers are realizing that i mean it's nice to innovate and, and release new features and we definitely see this uh, in house as well that but, but it's also uh, important about making sure that people know that your users know what's what isn't changing and they can basically rely on the platform and you're not overwhelming when them with new options when they then some of them some of the subset of, of your market may not be using some of those additional options so but uh, yeah so it sounds like still you're making good decisions on navigating the technology landscape and other things. So, Lucas, um, this podcast is all about growing your practice. I'm always asking one question. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for, the, for the listeners in the broader uh, context of financial planning and wealth management and uh, uh, and really growing a practice, especially for independent financial planners, financial advisors? If you can just focus on one thing, what would that be? <laughs> sure. I, I would say it's the people that you surround yourself with.
1: And so, you know, have good partners. You know, whether it's employees or actual business partners or whatever it is, I mean, no one is an expert at every area. And certainly, I am not a marketing guy. That was really where, uh, I mean, years ago, I I tried to go out and do financial planning as a fee-for-service practice. wasn't very successful. I I didn't have the marketing chops for it, but my partner, uh, Rob Townsend, sure does. The other people that I work with, Jamie and Jane, they, you know, they're experts in their area, whether it be administrative or you know, keeping on top of expenses in the business. So everyone has a role to play. So I, I would say think very hard about the people that you're surrounding yourself with and focus on your area of expertise and be very realistic with yourself about what areas you're not you know, as capable in. And try and find a partner to help you with that. Don't feel like you have to do everything yourself, because if you try to do that, you're just, you're not going to do a good job of many of those things. And so I'm a planner. I'm a numbers guy. I'm a detail person. That's what I do well. And so I have a great partnership with Rob, where he's a really good marketer and, you know, a really high level concept guy and, you know, is great with clients. So focus on who's around you and that'll make a big difference.
0: That's a great piece of advice. So Lucas, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe chat about some of the financial dashboards, so maybe provide their perspective or 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 hear a little bit more from, from you on that, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now?
1: Email is probably the best way. So lmacmillan at camberco.ca. I don't know if that's something that you can put up on the podcast somehow. There's our website as well, camberco.com, And there's ways that you can contact us through there. Uh, but yeah, my email again, L Macmillan. That's M A C M I L L A N at Camberco
0: is um, the best way to get a hold of me. Perfect. We'll link it up in the show notes. So, Lucas, thanks for coming on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation and uh, learning about your dashboards, your process, and everything else. And I'm sure uh, many people will get value from it. So, thanks. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, I appreciate you inviting me. Thanks, Pavel that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes, because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.